This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have the amazing Chris Tailsford. Chris is a GB Taekwondo champion. Now, listen to this. He fights, okay, able-bodied people, even though he's actually registered blind, and he wins, okay? He's a business owner and also a tech entrepreneur He's been featured on the world of Mar- uh, he's been featured in the world of martial arts magazine, and in that magazine, asked him a little bit about what his achievements, what he what his vision is, and what his future entails, and things like that. So I just want to welcome uh, Chris to the show. Chris, how uh, how are you today? Uh, hi, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you, very well. So a little bit stressed because of COVID, because we can't train as much. But apart from that, all is good at my side. Hey, listen, everything's COVID, right? Okay, so no traveling, COVID, mm-hmm. training, COVID, everything's COVID, but we don't talk about <laughs> COVID. This is not the COVID show, Chris. This is the this Chris, is true. this is the Chris Telsford <laughs> show, okay? Well, actually, it's not the Chris Telsford show, it's the Game Changers experience, but hey, <laughs> but listen, super mm-hmm. excited about you being on here. I know that there is, we've had a lot of Paralympians actually on uh, the show and uh, really interesting listening to aspects from not just athletes and Paralympians, but it's just a great opportunity, I think. And, you know, and, and I think that a lot of our listeners are going to be really interested to know about your story because you were registered blind, you know, when you were born, weren't you? You, you, were, you were born with a condition. Maybe you could tell us about that. But more importantly, what were your struggles, you know, as a kid and how did you overcome them? Because I think, I, you know, I couldn't imagine, I mean, I've been wearing glasses since the age of eight, right? Which is a long time. And, and some people would say, well, Adam, aren't you, you're practically blind. Well, I'm not without my, gla- with my, without my glasses, I feel completely blind and completely helpless. But when you're registered blind, I mean, I mean, you must go gone through so many struggles as a kid and growing up and things like that. I mean, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, growing up, especially in the area of East London, I did, it wasn't easy at all. Definitely not. It was exceptionally dangerous. You see, I had a very, very good group of friends, small, but very good, who always said, you know, you may not be able to see very well, but you're no different than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Disability means nothing at all. And they kind of helped me and motivated me to be able to, you know, go out there, get what I want, yeah, fight for what I want if I have to. And I mean, that made growing up a lot easier. I think without them, it would have been a struggle. And I don't think I would have been where I am today without their support. Well, it's always good to ha- associate yourself with people that lift you up and energize you and, and feel like you're, I suppose, invincible in a way, even though you're not invincible and that kind of stuff. But was what you know what was what was it like i suppose growing up and you know i mean did you walk around like a conventional blind person with a cane and hit people with it and i don't know uh, uh, t- tell us about <laughs> tell, tell us about well, tell us about that well, well growing up with somebody who's blind 
I know. Okay, so all these different institutes, where it's school, um, the Royal National Society for the Blind, they all wanted me to use a cane growing up. Mm-hmm. However, because I started doing martial arts when I was three years old, anything I saw a cane useful for was a weapon. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't want to get into any trouble, so I refused to carry one. Yeah, even in my bag, I just wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when I was younger, I had the odd accident, tripping, tripping up curbs, um, especially at night time. So my sight was far worse back then. So walking into lampposts. But it was when it was pitch black, I had the advantage because my light, my eyes are light sensitive. So in the pitch black, I could see somebody, couldn't recognize them, but I could see them from 100 feet away in the pitch black, whereas nobody else could. So in that respect, I had a bit of an advantage against other people. Mm. But I didn't really get bullied because of my sight impairments. As I said, I was very lucky at that time, very lucky. So realistically, I don't feel that it affected me too much growing up in that respect. Later on in life, yes, mid-teens and upwards. Mm. Did uh, what, what were the struggles when, when it came to, I suppose, you know, especially when you go through your teenage years of going through your changes and trying to understand you as a person and, and, and kind of reality, I suppose, sets in, in a way, doesn't it? It does. And at that time, it's not so much about um, how I would do things. as, as see. It's more of a case of how I wanted people to interpret me. Mm. So when they said, well, how can you do this when you're really blind? Not, no, not really knowing how to explain it to somebody who has no visual impairment or disability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is the hardest struggle, especially when you start going to college and then you know your first year in university. Mm. It's not easy at all. So you have to try and find ways you can relate to other people mm. in order for them to try and understand. Yeah, I completely understand. Easy. Did you ever did you ever struggle to fit in? Did you ever feel like you wanted that you struggled to try and fit in with society? And was there any, I suppose, yeah, I mean, in a way, you know, we talk about especially with the younger society today and the pressure of social media and society and how we think what other people see us and stuff like that. Did you ever go through those struggles, especially being partially blind and stuff? Oh, no, definitely, definitely not. Um, again, the reason for that goes back to the people I grew up with and mm. who's helped me, some friends, mm. m- mostly friends, family. Had they have not been there, then I wouldn't have, I feel I wouldn't have had the coping mechanisms to be able to integrate into society with mm. any kind of group of people yeah. doing anything. Fantastic. Very good. Now, you got into Taekwondo at a pretty young age. I'm pretty fascinated to know why did you got, get into Taekwondo considering that you're registered blind? Um, I find that kind of very uncomfortable even talking about it. <laughs> well, back then, uh, I mean, I was born in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started when I was three years old and I grew up in East London in a place called Canning Town. Now, you grew up knowing only three things. Yeah. How to earn, how to knit cars and how to fight. <laughs> Okay. At those times. Yeah. Um, and where my parents used to do martial arts themselves, mother used to do kickboxing, father used to do karate. Uh-huh. I kind of felt it in me to do something. And around the corner from me, where I grew up, was a taekwondo center. Mm-hmm. 
So I went there as a youngster at three years old and I loved it, just carried on doing it. And I had sight issues, obviously, um, but we always found a way around it. So as a white belt going into a new class, you'd be right at the back and expected to follow the people at the front. But my thing was, so I was told, that I couldn't see the instructor very well. And the people in front of me would be yellow belts, so don't be getting it wrong. So what I'd have to do is after we've done the warm-ups and so forth, I have to go, the instructor has to have a one-on-one -on -one with me or a senior grade and show me, for example, has to do a turning kick, has to do a front kick and so forth, has to do a proper punch. And that's, you know, because of the engagement and interaction I had at the early age, it kept me motivated to keep on and keep on and on my training. Fantastic. And after a while, it just became addictive. So I suppose your, your parents were a bit of an influence when it came to martial arts and, and, and fighting and things like that, because they did it themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it was already in the genes. And you may have heard of a lady called Molly Samuels. Um, I think back in the 90s, she used to be world karate champion. Well, she's also my cousin as well. So it, martial arts is really in the genes. Um, parents didn't really go into many competitions, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, apart from Molly Samuels, I am the only other person in the family that's actually gone out and achieved something when it comes to sports. Very cool. Very good. I wanted to ask you, Sam, because, I mean, when you, you talked about, I was reading a little bit about you, and you talked a little bit about when one of your first fights, which you lost and, and you know, you were really kind of, I suppose, not paralyzed by fear, but you were, you had a lot of fear, I suppose, you know, getting onto the map for the first time and facing an opponent for the first time. I mean, what was that feeling like? And, you know, cause you've got someone that basically wants to kick your ass and uh, <laughs> and and you're and you're practically registered blind even even i just like even the thought about it watching you know watching yourself it, it you know does it make you feel helpless i mean i'd love to explore that um yeah no no problem at all. it doesn't make me feel helpless um, it motivates me more it motivates me more i mean one thing you may not know is from a very early age i've always been a west ham supporter and oh, no. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh, we got the wrong guest on here, people. Sorry, listeners. For you, uh, for, for the listeners that are over in Asia, we don't know who West Ham United are, by the way. Sorry. One of our with the, and I'll come on to a bit more later on. But I was brought up by some very naughty people who I'll speak to you about later on. But there was a motto in with the West Ham lot, and it's that you never run. You always stand your ground, always. Yeah. So even if you lose, yeah, in the day, you have to look at it in a way that they're not going to kill you. Yeah. They're going to do what they want, have a row, and then they're going to go. And it's the same in the ring. You know, in the ring, when you step in that ring, you know that all that's going to happen is yes, okay. Worst case scenario, you might get knocked out or a couple of broken bones, but you'll live to fight another day. Sure. And you know, and if I lose then I can guarantee you that I'll keep my weights and I'll whatever level I need to just so that I can find that opponent again and fight him. And because I'll know his style, the way he kicks, the speed he kicks and the power he uses, yeah. I'll be able to use that to my advantage. Mm. So that's like you're mirroring your opponent in a way, right? You know, not, not so much mirroring him. If I lose, then what I'm actually doing is... 
while I'm fighting, I'm studying every single movement he makes. Yes, so I'm studying, I'm trying to see what distance he is from me. I'm trying to analyze his leg length, his reach, like his arm reach as well. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's somebody who likes going for more head shots or body shots, so that I know if, if he's in a slightly longer stance, then he's going to try and do some sort of back kick, whether it's a normal back kick or spinning back kick or a hook kick. So I'll know the next time that's the stance, that's what he's going to do. So, because unfortunately, my eyes can't read it as fast as anybody else's can. Oh, that makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, you had a lot of success in Taekwondo. And we mentioned at the very beginning to, uh, of today that you basically, you know, you're a Taekwondo champion that are able to build, essentially being able to uh, beat able-bodied people. That's people without disabilities. I mean, how did that? How does that work? Because it's a bit like, it kind of reminds me, I'll tell you what it reminds me of, Chris, right? You remember uh, the Karate Kid? And everyone knows the oh, Karate yes. Kid, right? So remember when the, in the film, The Karate Kid, the movie, The Karate Kid, and what he does is he loses his sight and they, mm-hmm. they put a, I think it was like a, like a bandana or something across his eyes or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. he had to use his uh, senses or intuition in order yeah. to beat his opponent. Would you say that is a true likeness of similar to, I guess, how you beat your opponents? Or would you say that is kind of a little bit exaggerated and there's more to it? Uh, I think it's half a truth. Yeah, I think it's half a truth because, okay, so let's look at it like this, just so the listeners can kind of get it. If you imagine driving at night time mm. in central London, yeah. so really well lit with sunglasses on. Yeah. Now, you're going to be able to see around you, but because you're wearing sunglasses and it's only lit by shop lights and street lamps, your reaction time is going to be slower. So I think that's the best way to do it. So when I'm when I'm sparring with somebody, it's a case of I need to be able to kind of feel that something's going to happen. So kind of almost predict it in a way. Right. So yes, wearing the yeah, so wearing a bandana around your eyes, yes, you can feel when something's not right. Even in the pitch black, you can feel when someone's close to you. So you kind of just have to predict what it is, how you're going to deal with it. Makes sense. I was going to ask you, actually, when it comes to using your intuition, how important is using your intuition when it can't when it comes to business? Because, I mean, you've been running a business for quite a number of years. You've got some mm-hmm. different ventures and we'll talk about those ventures in a bit. But how important is using your intuition and things like that in business? How, how has it helped you in your business? Oh, for me, it's critical using your intuition. Without intuition, to be honest, it's hard to run a business, yeah. um, especially with vision impairment as well. Because when, if you, if I had no intuition, just a vision impairment, mm. a lot of people would either take advantage, yeah, or they wouldn't do business with me. Yeah. So you, you basically have to use your intuition in everything you do. So for me, it's critical. It's a good point, actually. And and I think that it, it's one of those skills that I feel that not enough entrepreneurs and business owners use in terms of intuition, you know, like kind of using that gut instinct. I'm a real big believer. We, we teach a lot of clients this is that, and especially with the listeners right now, is that don't think with your head because too many people think logically. Some people think with their heart, but actually what you really need to think about is thinking, what is it that? It feels if it feels right, then think about where it comes from is the gut, gut instinct. I'm a real big believer yeah. 
and, uh, and and I'm glad you kind of brought that up, which is really interesting. What lessons did you learn from Taekwondo in terms of your success in your Taekwondo career as such? How did you bring those skills over to becoming a business owner and an entrepreneur? If you had asked me this question seven years ago, seven to eight years ago, um, I would have said that it would have brought a lot of negotiation skills and so forth. But now I've been in business for a long time. The main thing I've realized that it's brought me from Taekwondo into business is patience. Patience, love it. <laughs> Lots of pure, unadulterated patience. Because, <laughs> yes, it did. I did also bring over negotiation skills, people management as well, because obviously having to train people. Mm-hmm. But no, one thing I've always learned from Taekwondo is patience. And in business, you must have patience because different people work differently to the way you do. Yeah. Organizations aren't all structured the same. So you have to be willing to wait or if you need their business, go as fast as they want you to go. So in order to deal with any kind of business you're going into, you must have patience. I think that's one of the most important things. It's interesting we brought up patience because one of my, uh, I suppose, role models, mentors, whatever you want to call him, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about the importance of of patience and, and, you know, it's all about kind of waiting for, for the right moment at the right time. And you've mentioned it again, which is really interesting. What would you say to our listeners for the people that, which maybe aren't so patient as such, and what is it that you'd say in terms of convincing them otherwise, why patience is so so important in running a business? And maybe you, you have uh, experienced uh, something along that way, mm-hmm. lines. Absolutely. Okay, so what I would say, if you're struggling to have patience in business, then take some time out, take a week out. And I normally don't do endorsements of anything, but read read or listen to a book called Sun Tzu, (laughs) The Art of War. (laughs) It's a book I live by. (laughs) Um, it It will give you the teachings on why patience is so important how you can use patience to your advantage and a lot more you know if you're not the kind of reading person then you want to be able to start doing things like just taking out five minutes just to relax meditate if need be but finding patience is critical if you want to succeed in any kind of business because nobody is going to do business with somebody who's impatient interesting you mentioned about sun cell which is which is the book that i've actually read and it's not an easy book to read, is it? You have to read it probably about 10 times before you, before you really get, get, get the knack of it. Do you know what I mean? It's a really, even though it's only, I don't know, it's only a really small book. I think it's only about 100 pages long or maybe less. You know, but what did you, you talked about the importance of patience, but is there anything that you learned from that book specifically that you had brought into the business world or the entrepreneurial world that you thought, you know, those little key points that I think would be really good for some of our listeners. Is there anything that you can share with us? Um, Yeah, from that book, it's mostly about how the generals um, would deal with, because obviously, as you know, Sun Tzu is about, um, it's basically a Chinese book. Hmm. So it's about how they have patience um, before they, where they form, their strategies and so forth. Mm. 
it's a bit hard, as you understand, it's a bit hard to explain exactly how that translates to business. But when you actually get the, the theory behind the book itself, it makes sense. Like you said, it's not an easy book to read, and it's even no. harder to explain, especially in English. <laughs> I absolutely agree. <laughs> But even even so, it, it is a, a very highly intellectual book. And guys, if you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend you definitely go out and get that. It, you know, it's uh, it's a great book to read. What I was going to say to you is, you developed I was going to say a sports tech app, haven't you, for people with disabilities? Can you tell us a yes. little bit more about that and 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 what is the, what is the aim for it? Yeah, no problem at all. Okay, so okay, so prior to creating this technology, I always had a problem with reading printed material. Yeah, just it was just very very difficult for me. Right. So before this company, I created um, technology which is on which we use on your phone or tablet, which reads printed material to you, mm-hmm. yeah, just by speaking to it. Um, plus, you can actually browse the internet just by using your voice. Um, brilliant bit of technology. But then I left the company in September 2017 to start up a new company with my business partner, who coincidentally is Grandmaster Patrice Remarque, um, the world's number one Taekwondo coach. Yeah, it comes in handy. He's the only person I don't argue with. So we called the company, um, it will translate to Fusion Tech. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea of this app is it's very similar to the way other sports apps work, like Peloton and so forth, but without all the hardware. So what we do is all of our instructors are either Olympic athletes or Olympic coaches or high, pro- high performance coaches and instructors. And we do one-on-one training in real time. So live, group live classes. And also we, have pre- we will have pre-recorded content as well. But unlike everybody else, we have a particular set of USPs such as voice control. For example, we give anyone the freedom to choose it by voice because you may have a person with a disability. You may be an amputee, so you may not be able to tap the screen. Or you may have a wheelchair user who can't keep on going backwards and forwards to the screen to tap it and so forth. So we wanted to make it very diversified so anyone can use it. We have things like multi-angled viewing and a lot more USPs, which I can't really go out. I can't really speak about it at the moment, but we have huge. I mean, um, we have so many that, as far as we're aware, Apple actually took two of our USPs quite recently and launched it on September 15th. But the idea of it is to empower people to be able to get fit, healthy, and train with best of the best mm. at a cost which is considerably lower than anything else. Sure. Is it like a subscription model? Yes, apologies. Yeah, it is a subscription model. Yeah. So when we actually when we actually launch it, which should be mid next year, then yeah, you'll have two different subscription models. You have to book live classes with whatever instructors or athlete you want from all over the world. And you'll be able to, you don't need to have any hardware either. You can just use your TV, your tablet, your laptop, your phone, whatever you wish. I was just gonna say, so what you're saying is basically it's a training app for disabled athletes or sports people that want to become fit or healthy or just disabled people in general but then you embedding certain technologies which is you know for voice activation or if people can't touch the screen or whatever it might be so it kind of takes into consideration and it breaks down uh, that's a great app it sounds like a fantastic app there you got there uh, chris oh, thank you and the best thing about it is 
see, we are looking, we are aiming for the market for disabilities, but in reality, it can be used by anybody. Mm, very good. And, w- and what can our listeners do to help you uh, at all in, in terms of, because I know that you're not launching that till till next year, but is there anything that you'd like our listeners to do in terms of a call to action? Um, call to action, a couple of things, really, if, if they'd like to, well, I mean, yeah, we're always, obviously, like any startup company, we're always looking for investments. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested, then that's not a problem at all. But in addition to that, I mean, the disability market is a, well, in the UK alone, alone, it's a £107 billion market. Wow. Which nobody's nobody's exploiting, really. Mm. So, I mean, one of the other things I do is I work with a company called Kaleidoscope, or the Kaleidoscope Group. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing company. Um, that specialise in people, specialise with investments for people with disabilities, um, advisory services, in recruitment services, especially as headhunters for those with disabilities. So what I would say is take a look at them. Um, if you have any job openings, then you know think about hiring somebody with a disability because they come with people with disabilities have lots of benefits. I mean, not mentioning the C word at the moment, which the whole world's going through, but people with disabilities are used to being confined. They're used to being segregated. Yes. So remote working is nothing for a person with disability. No. So automatically you're saving money on travel expenses, insurance and so forth. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, people with disabilities are just, you know, they're just normal human beings. And just because they've, you know, some people may see someone as a disability, as a malfunction. They're no one. They're just normal human beings. They really are guys. And I remember working, I've worked with many disabled people, Chris, and, uh, and uh, you know, through my university degree and things like that. And, you know, it, it, it's, it gives you a deep sense of satisfaction, but more importantly, it helps you to reflect on what you have in your own life and what other people that are, are not so fortunate in, in the world, but yeah. So just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the show today and, and sharing some, Pleasure. sharing some great points and some great tips. So I hope you guys have enjoyed today's show. I hope that you are, if you haven't already done so, um, make sure that you, if you're listening to this on Apple, okay, please do me a favor and please leave a one or a five-star review, whichever you feel is more worthy of this podcast on that. Or alternatively, if you're listening to this on Android, please go to Podchaser, that's podchaser.com and go on there and leave uh, your reviews on there. I would really greatly appreciate that. One of my big goals is to get to hundred reviews by the end of the year. We've got a little way to go guys, but if you've enjoyed today's and any of the other episodes, then please leave your reviews. I would really greatly appreciate it. Listen, have a fantastic day, week, month, whenever you're listening to this. And from me and Chris, have a fantastic day. See you soon. Have a good one. Take care. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.